Welcome to Everybody Has Shit. I'm Kim Reed. This podcast is an open invitation to put your wellness on another level. You no longer have to keep your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that's holding you back a secret. Secrets hurt us. Everybody has shit, so let's all get better together. Let's all try to overcome the challenges we are facing and live our best life. When you have a chronic pain or illness and you can't find any answers or relief, you keep looking. In my search, in my long search, I found Rick Gold. He is our latest guest and he is my brilliant acupuncturist. He has addressed my flare-ups through my gut. He puts needles everywhere. Now, I've been to acupuncturists before, but there was something different about him and about his approach that has worked for me. I am a believer, and we cannot wait to share him with you. Let's get to it. So, acupuncturist Rick. Hi, Kim. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad you're here today. My pleasure. Um, Do you remember the very first human that you stuck with a needle? as an acupuncturist? It was myself. It was yourself? Well, because to uh, one of the beauties of being an acupuncturist is we experience what we provide to our patients. Not necessarily the same ailments or anything, but if I say to you I'm going to do something therapeutic, most likely I've had that point needled on myself, and so I, I have that personal experience. So really, especially... You know, we're in 1977 in this story. It wasn't so generally uh, known to no. practice acupuncture in, in, in America. So um, before I was going to stick a needle on someone else. You did it to uh, yourself did it first. To How'd you do? Um, better than when I had my first treatment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? John, have you ever had acupuncture? God, no, you know that. <laughs> okay, I know. You know what? I can't make assumptions with you. But yeah, I know that. I know that you've never been stuck. I, no. I, no. Okay, so acupuncture has been around for a very, very long time. A long time. Why would it be called alternative mode or method of healing? Well, because you're coming into a dominant culture with something from outside, and so it gets labeled that way. You know, we, that's, that's how, how culture works. And so it was, it was brought in. And, and really, Chinese medicine, uh, which acupuncture is a part of, um, they really think it came into this country when the first Chinese workers were brought here to build the railroads and after the gold, and for the gold rush. Yeah. So it's from the 1830s, 1840s, around that time. And but it was really confined to the Chinese communities. It wasn't, well, I don't think there was much crossover into the Caucasian or uh, community. Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, how do you feel that is accepted now? I mean, is it? It's beyond my dreams, Kim. Really? Absolutely. The whole field, the acceptance of the field, the licensing in the field, the uh, permeation into the culture, um, it's just beyond my dream. Um, I never, in fact, when I first started my studies in 1977, um, in my cohort, I was at the first state-approved school in the country, which was the New England School in Boston, New England School of Acupuncture. My cohort are about 25 of us. None of us talked about a career. When you talk to students that are starting now, they're already planning their office and how they're going to work. And so why did you go to school? If- because it was, uh, the, for me, it was a step of a spiritual path okay. that drew me there. I'd always wanted to be a doctor. 
Um, I was in college during the Vietnam War. In the summer of Woodstock, I was working as a orderly in Cincinnati General Hospital. And that experience of working around doctors uh, was very damaging to my psyche um, because they became a negative role model. I really saw that the nurses and the orderlies such as myself really had much more human contact. You know, the doctors would sort of rush in, prescribe another procedure or drug and, that, and rush out. Um, and then we were left as the caregivers almost to, to pick up the pieces and try to calm the patients off and down. And so they became a negative role model. So I dropped out of chemistry pre-med studies and became a religious studies major. Because to me at that time, that was the questions I was asking of yeah. myself. You know, why am I here? What is my purpose? Where are we going? So you gave yourself the space to try and figure that out. Yeah. It was, and it was certainly not a career path to study religion as a liberal arts degree, bachelor's of arts. Yeah. But... Um, it, I think, made me a more open person to be uh, recogni- recognize the depth of uh, human yearning and that there's so many different approaches to that. And so... Um, so why do you think, you say you feel so elated now that acupuncture is so, why, so much more um, acknowledged accepted. or accepted? Why do you, what has made it more it's accepted? Eff- it's efficacy. It works. It works, and it works outside of the existing paradigm of Western medicine and Western science. Um, but clearly, it works. People get better. There's changes in, in brain patterns. There's changes in blood profile. There's reduction of pain. Um, it works in veterinary medicine, and it works in double-blind, controlled, placebo-controlled studies. And so um, it works, and it, especially with a lot of things that Western medicine is not able to successfully uh, treat. Does Western medicine accept it? Uh, that's a big question. I mean, we're licensed uh, by, like in here in California, we're licensed by the medical board, the Board of Medical Quality Assurance, the same board that licensed MDs. Um, and so to say that would every doctor accept us? No. I'm sure a lot of doctors uh, still would never refer to acupuncture, but the manner, number that do... Um, is amazing to me, and the uh, the insurance industries come along. And why does the insurance coming industry come along? People demanded it, and it and it cost effective for them um, because yeah. we can get people off of long term meds, so we right. can avoid surgeries. Um, we we provide a service, and I'd like to uh, clarify something, if I may. Sure. Which is um, my license. I'm a licensed California acupuncturist. Okay. And I'm proud of that, and I'm grateful for that. And really what you're talking about is a technique of a complete system of medicine. It's almost like we would say a surgeon is a licensed scalpel wielder or a dentist is a licensed tooth driller. You're identifying a technique. Yeah. Interestingly enough, acupuncture is not even a standalone technique within the context of Chinese medicine. It's, there's an acupuncture, there's a warming technique called moxibustion, which acumoxotherapy, we'd call it in, in English. But within the context of Chinese medicine, and actually the, the law we have here in California, in most of the states, it includes herbal medicine, uh, nutritional counseling, uh, breathing exercises and meditation, qigong, tai chi, um, a certain amount of counseling, not therapy, but counseling, because um, we do lifestyle medicine to a large degree. And in order to get people to make fundamental changes in patterns, which are usually contributing to disease often or, or suffering, um, we're able to help 
create a context for change. And so it's a, it's a much broader. So I would prefer we be called practitioners of traditional East Asian medicine because it's, it's broader than just Chinese, although Chinese is the root of it. Yeah. It comes back to, um, there's actually a literature that existed about 286 BC uh, called the Yellow Oper's Classic of Internal Medicine, the Neijing, which we, we identify as the, uh, the original text or the original writing that consolidated a lot of the healing techniques in ancient China. So when you look at today and you look at how sick people are and you look at the thread of their sicknesses like autoimmune, which I'm so well versed in and I'm, and I'm getting more and more educated because more and more people reach out to me. Do, what, what do you attribute these diseases to? I mean, they weren't around, you know, at the turn of the century. Well, they were, but I don't think you had the percentage of, of the population we see now. Um, well, I think a lot of it, and, and I, th this is opinion rather than literature I can incite, I think a lot of it has to do with persistent inflammation and uh, toxicity build up in, in the system. So toxicity causes inflammation. Yeah. yeah. Toxicity from our environment. F yeah, food, air, water. The things that are meant to help our body, fuel our body and cleanse our body themselves have been compromised now. And if you think about it, you know, our immune system, our autoimmune system is that which was evolutionarily designed to protect us now turns upon us. And that's a devious way to think about it. How I mean, do we whip it back into shape and well, you know, it's, let that, it this know is, that... This is a big challenge uh, because once that, that trigger happens, and what happens is, you know, we have a, a wide range of autoimmune systems. Some attack the nervous system, some the connective tissues, some the, the nerve fibers of the spine, yeah. a variety of things. We all have labels, MS or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Um, once those get embedded, and what, what we see happen is that the immune system will then attack the weakest link, it seems like, where, where a certain person's more vulnerable. And they're more vulnerable maybe because of genetics, maybe because of tra trauma. But that uh, doesn't start that way at birth. I mean, it triggers... Well, there's... there's we, just because there's something in the genes doesn't mean it's going to manifest. This is where the concept of epigenetics is so important now, which is just because there's a genetic predisposition doesn't mean it has to manifest. Okay, right. And, and what happens is the intracellular environment and the lymph system become overtoxic, become overburdened, and the body cannot function uh, at its at ideal level. And so then something's got to give, and it seems like then that these are where these symptoms occur. Well, why can't we figure out the switch to switch it back well, to Well, we definitely have seen a way to um, ameliorate the symptoms. I mean, I have, over the years, helped people get off of, of chronic use of medications yeah. for autoimmune diseases. Um, but, it, gosh, and you know it, it, it takes tremendous personal discipline um, to avoid. Because a lot of times we're attracted to eat and behaviors that we're most allergic to or they're most toxic to us. Yeah. And that, that, well, that perpetuates and the, this karmic system of just cause and effect, cause and effect. And, and it's related to the gut, many aspects of autoimmune, you know, which be, I'm learning. Yeah, because when you, when you have what we call leaky gut, which is a long, long discussion, but what happens is inappropriate molecules, um, non-digested molecules or, or things that can't be digested, get into the into the lymph system and then into the bloodstream yeah and this this then our again our immune system which is targeting these antigens 
with our antibodies. The, ant the antibodies are looking for a true antigen to get rid of, right. but these aren't true antigens. They're, they're toxic materials, and so the immune system is always being fired off to attack these. And there's, it's like you're all dressed up for a war, and there's no war to go, really, because you can't defeat that enemy. So you go, you attack the weakest link. So when I go and lay on his table, I mean, he sticks me. I mean, I am needled from head to toe. And sometimes, so when you get in and you get that reaction, so I, are you turning the needle or are you sticking it in? Because I don't watch what you're doing. And, and then all of a sudden you feel like you've been tasered, which is a good thing, yeah. That's right? The, the Chinese call that the chi, the true, the true chi, the true energy. Okay, well, the duchi it can hurt. But it's, to me, it's translating to, okay, we need to get in there, and that's where we need to be. Yeah. You know, see, there are various styles of acupuncture treatment. Um, some are, um, like my teacher, my Chinese teacher, he, unless you uh, got that, uh, like, electric sensation at a point, he didn't think you successfully addressed that point. Really? So, so that, that, that was drilled in your head. From the beginning. But now, subsequently, I've studied in Japan, I've studied with Japanese teachers, which don't want to get that kind of dramatic chi reaction, that kind of electric sensation they did. And, it, and there's efficacy on both ends of those spectrum, which is very, very amazing. And I try to, to um, moderate my treatments to the individual. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you've been suffering, but you're not a weak person. No. So, and to get your attention, I feel we have to... You got it. ...be, be present for you. But, but, it's, but by the same token, I mean, is this wood? I hate talking about my illness in a sense that I'm feeling better, but you have made me feel better. I'm grateful for that. Knock on something. No, <laughs> I, I am grateful for that because I will come to you. So I, I've been really trying to come to you regularly. You know, you try all these other things. I've been trying other things along with you, but I started with you. And when I'm feeling bad, you go right to my gut and you zap it. And you tell it whatever you're telling it through your diagnostic being. techniques and touch. And yeah, and um, it, I feel better. And, and 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 I think we need to understand that sometimes we've been trained as a culture to find the to get. We want to be cured. Yeah, we do. We want, and that's great. But um, but we also have a skewed idea about. So if someone has a gallbladder disease and the gallbladder is removed, we say we cured the gallbladder disease. Or if, we, if someone has a headache and you take an aspirin, the headache goes away. We say we cured the headache. But with the one first instance, the gallbladder is gone, so it's not diseased or cured. The second, with the headache, it might come back tomorrow. So you just ameliorated the, the symptoms like that. So um, you do feel better, and, and I and I and you. There's been a progression of feeling better, yeah. and you know when you. Um, I mean, this is, you're very vulnerable here. I mean, I admire okay. your openness yeah. to, to be present for so many people like this. Um, you know, if you do things that you know that you sh aren't best for you, not that they're wrong, but they're not best for you, that you get fl your flare-ups. Yeah. Or if, there, if there's an emotional shock, there's a flare-up, and, and you're very sensitive to the political environment that's around us, and if you get embedded in that, Things sort of can spin for you. And but you are helping me to define those moments because life, when you're looking at your life on a day-to-day -day 
basis, you know, I eat organically, I try to be as healthy as I can, I don't have toxins in my house, everything is clean. So what is it? So you've helped me to kind of carve away the possibilities. But what we found with you uh, from palpation is you get, uh, it's going to sound a little odd to Western listeners, but you, you somehow accumulate stagnant water uh, fluids in your gut because, you know, we, you can hear it sloshing when yeah. we, we palpate your abdomen. Yeah. And that's like a, a toxic pool. And so when we help move that through you, um, you, 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 send, you recover, you feel much better, and then it accumulates over time. And I think part of, um, you know, we, we're looking for a cure and then we just go off and do life. But, but maintaining health is a day-to-day, almost moment-to-moment event in life. Um, and um, once you haven't felt well, you have to be more cognizant to, to seek ways of feeling better. And, you, and as we get older, you know, you, you were probably blessed with good health for most of your life. Um, so it's a bit, a bit of shock, but some people, you know, from the time they're, we have children with autoimmune diseases, we have a pediatric cancer. Um, so, you know, people have never felt well. Yeah. It, so it's, the, but wellness, though, that's, that's and the And wellness community. has to be more than absence of symptoms or absence of, It does. Of, yeah. because, I mean, you, you're part of the wellness community, yes. right? So, but when we're well, we can't forget that we're well and sometimes I do and like a month will go by where I haven't seen you but I have to maintain you even when I'm well so we can't forget these things that we do to yeah. keep our health in check yeah and you know and then people say well gosh he's still seeing an acupuncturist uh, Chinese East Asian medical practitioner once a month well you know the other option for you is to take a uh, immune suppressor daily and so we sort of accepted that and, you know, and maybe that cost is by insurance and, you know, she sort of gets pushed under the rug a little bit. Um, but I, I really think we all need wellness practices uh, pretty much daily, if not multiple times a day. Um, but we, but what about people who aren't in, look, we live in San Diego. True. There's, there's a heavy dose of wellness communities all around us, yoga, I mean, all the health food and all the different options vegan we have restaurants to eat, everywhere vegan, gluten-free. But what about people that don't have the accessibility that that we do? I mean, it's right out our door. Well, uh, you know, luckily things are available much more now than they used to be out, out in the hinterlands. Yeah. Um, and the access to information is much broader now. We can research um, things that we're used to find. You have to go to a university medical school library. You can get it home just with a few clicks now. So I don't think that's a... Um... But, but it's not just accessibility. It's also knowing. Because, look, in order to <clears throat> go to an acupuncturist or to go to somebody that does lymphatic massages or whatever, you have to be in the mind space to accept the treatment. And the possibility it's going and to help And the possibility you. that it's going and to And to value you. it enough that and you're going to... Exactly. To respect that person. And, and you have to be all in. Now, does that mean it's going to work? No. But you have to give it a chance. My, this is my belief. You can't be skeptical and you just jump in with all your belief system that this is going to work. That certainly helps move the needle. But some of, the, some of the innovative research that's being done in, in placebo studies now and the acupuncture and, and what we consider wellness things in veterinary medicine, um, I, I, I don't want to diminish the uh, psycho-emotional 
uh, aspect of this, but there's something else that's happening. Um, and I think a lot of what's happening has to do with resonance and frequency, where um, if you r resonate uh, with the practitioner and you resonate with the thought or the ideas of these things, and that, that, yeah. that, that helps enhance what we'd call the positive placebo effect. You know, it, it, speaking to Western minds, again, the, the concept of placebo really was always the fly in the ointment in research. Well, if 30% of the people are going to get better no matter what, you know, then, you know, A, why bother, or B, we, to get efficacy, we have to go way, way above that. From a wellness point of view, you would, you, and this is a, f a paradigm flip, if you think, you know, I know that 30% of the people are going to get better just because of the idea that they can get better, the hope they can, or that they connect with the practitioner, that's something you build on. And so we can call that the positive placebo effect. So rather than see placebo as a negative, it's actually something to build upon. It's not a, a pit that you fall into and just skew all your data, but it's actually something to build on. And uh, if people look into the recent placebo studies, especially by a Dr. Ted Kapchuk at Harvard University, um, things are mind-blowing that are happening. Even when people are knowingly given something, it's, it's labeled placebo on the, on the label. It's above statistical chance that people are going to get better from it. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, and it really uh, and it creates new challenges in terms of the uh, the kind of research that's done because double-blinded, placebo-controlled, randomized studies are the gold standard. But now we're we're shaking the foundation of that because. Um, the placebo effect is something real and, and potentially beneficial and something that we can build upon rather than feel we have to push off to the side. Well, that can't make pharmaceutical companies very happy. Well, they're going to have labeled <laughs> <laughs> placebo for low back pain. <laughs> so when you look at all the patients that you've seen, was there one that stands out that you just really turned around? I mean, one that just looked insurmountable, just... Well, there was a, a case of uh, someone came to me, um, I've treated her off and on now for over 30 years, and from the age, I think, about 25, she'd been put on corticoid steroids for lupus. And, um, and we did a series of treatments, again, some 30 years ago, and she dropped the, the corticoid steroids, and she hasn't been on them since. Um, I still see her with not regularity, but some, some frequency, let's say, maybe five or six times a year. And it's not that she doesn't have aches and pains. I mean, she yeah. has a stressful professional job and, you know, life issues. Uh, but she hasn't had to go back. And now that, I'm sure if we talked to her rheumatologist back in Philadelphia, prescribed it when she was a young woman, you would say that, you know, it's preposterous. But it's... To be expected, though, but, right? But, and, and again, we don't have a... Uh, it's not in the literature. There's not enough studies and enough cases to... Uh, turn the needle of, of acceptance, I think, from uh, a dean of a medical school. But, um, you know, every, every, for me as a practitioner, any one person I can help, it's a blessing and a triumph. But that's not a fluke, though. No, no. I did, I did. I, it was, and, you know, what I do, even though what you might seem to be just randomize what I'm doing, um, I'm strategic in the points I choose. I know you are. And I'm strategic, and, I'm, and, it's, and what I'm doing is rational, which is based on a different rationale. Right. And, um, the, you know, the, the rationale in, in its most basic form is balancing 
um, the forces. We would, I would just say plus and minus. We call it yin and yang. Um, these are these are polar opposite forces. It's the dynamic, and it, this shows up throughout nature. It's something that every physicist can talk to you about. And what we try to do is create that because underlying the physiology of the body that we would say is energy or, frequ or frequency. And this, this conforms to quantum physics, um, that everything that we see as material or matter is actually energy potential. And uh, that, for whatever reason, that, that cultural paradigm from these ancient times emphasized that. We emphasize the material component. And it's not wrong, but an interesting thing from a clinician's point of view is by the time someone is symptomatic and by the time something shows up in blood and urine there's been a lot of energetic shift um, out of out of balance yeah. prior to that <clears throat> and that's what we as practitioners uh, and, and, and myself as a teacher we try to learn and teach is to um, anticipate through signs and symptoms and also through our diagnostic techniques which is very sensitive a pulse taking at the radius of the wrist, at the right. radial artery, and what we call tongue diagnosis. We try to anticipate by seeing what's out of balance before it becomes symptom symptomatic. So you, you said something very interesting to her about how she intakes the world, whether it be politics or whether it be uh, everyday life crisis or the pain from going through an illness. Are you are you seeing more because of the turmoil that the world is currently in? Is that adding to people's angst and absolutely, sickness? absolutely, absolutely? I mean, I, I think in the future they're going to look. They're going to recall this BC and AC before COVID and after. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> yeah after COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, either they think now. I just saw an article before I came over. Is that more people have died? It's less per capita, but more people have died now than died from the Spanish flu in 1918 in the United States. But John, absolutely, the uh, the angst that people are feeling, the trepidation, the isolation, uh, these are all contributing factors. And that's another thing I think that uh, wellness or East Asian medicine uh, is really valuable to show is there are contributing factors to disease and disharmony, rather than trying to isolate the one ism, the one bacteria, the one virus that's happened. I mean, even with the, the phenomenon of COVID, which is, you know, certainly per perplexing in so many ways, different people respond to it very differently, even though the, vi the virus is transforming, but it's a similar virus, but people react to it very, very differently. And some people get it and have no symptoms at all, even without vaccine. Which is why it's so scary, because you just don't know how it's going to hit know. you. So, um, but yeah, the, we, the environmental influences, the societal influences, the family influences, um, you know, the incidence of uh, like breast cancer with divorce. There's a, it's not a cause, but it's a correlative thing. You're going to see more. So these, these things, um, you, know, you can't, you, you can't say, you can't take the fish out of the water in this yeah. instance. It's, we're, we're swimming in this cultural milieu of, uh, the collective trauma right now, um, and uh, then there's, you know, it's, it's like a civil war in families now with, with get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine, travel, don't travel, go out to dinner, don't go out to dinner. Yeah, no. I mean, it's just, it just adds to the stress that is already there and exists with yeah. work and family, children, and the whole bit. One of the um, people that we interviewed a while back, Ben Badi, who, and you're familiar with him, you know him, and he talked about meditation, and that's been one of my 
biggest obstacles. I mean, I want to learn how to meditate. He said something really interesting that he really doesn't meditate. His life, he, he acts, lives in a meditative state. And when you live that way, and I, for some reason, I understand that. It's choosing, isn't it choosing how to be and seeing how to dissect things so that they don't stick? Stick. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, uh, and I admire that point of view, and I admire if he's capable of that. Um, no, that's, I, I a, trust that's a new concept <laughs> yeah. for me. Well, I think what a lot of that, what meditation is difficult. I'm not going to, you know, spare words, and, I, and there's a whole story I can tell why I do some of what I do professionally now in pursuit of being able to meditate. But a lot of it comes back to av- avoiding the trap of, of every stimuli responding to. Yeah. That that we call we could call that a monkey mind or like a lizard like the lizard brain that every stimuli you have to react to and, but if you're a meditator because when you sit in meditation uh, traditionally you know you would sit sit in meditation a million thoughts stream into your head stuff that and, and all of a sudden you're you're jumping around because you've imagined something that's stressful you you've relived a past thing you you're afraid of something coming in the future and but when you when you're sitting in meditation you realize. That's just my mind tricking me. And you then can learn to control your response. And then if you can learn to do that in meditation, you can take that out into the world. And you don't have to respond to every situation that, that might upset you. Because once, once, once you get upset, then a whole cascade of physiologic reactions occur and the, oh, yeah. your brain waves change. Cortisol levels are cortisol through, through the so, roof. Yeah. So I think like the moral is and i think that it's it's blatant but then it's not is that when you're well in order to stay well you need to be a part of a wellness community <laughs> because you can't everybody talks about health it's like i you know you 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 can't take it for granted but you really can't you can't you cannot nothing if if you're not healthy nothing matters doesn't matter what your house looks like. It doesn't matter what you're wearing, what color your hair. It doesn't matter. The mundane things in life mean nothing. So you need to be a part of the wellness community. John, you're a healthy, strapping guy. I mean, there's, there, there has to be a way to get people into the community so they maintain this sort of health. Right. I can say, it's a, yeah, it's it, it, uh, having a positive uh, behaviors. Um, it, we we also say in in this kind of medicine or wellness, it's, you know, everything in moderation, and, and also sometimes including moderation. But you have to expect that if you're going to tie one on, you're going to feel crappy, and then if you then and most people can get bounced back from that. But if you happen to have an autoimmune disease or you have a propensity to uh, depression or self abuse and stuff, you have to really exhibit self-control to, to pull back pull back the reins and not go too far down the rabbit hole um, of outside of moderation so one of the things that you've incorporated along with your practice is music and the effects that music have on your well-being yes so what what is it tapping into in the brain what kind of music are we talking about well uh, music um, Music is one of life's main 
life's joys and one one of the blessings. Um, and there's recognition that there's sound. There's actually sound in interstellar space. So it's really it's everywhere. Um, the kind of music that I've moved into. Um, You're a music producer. I'm an executive producer, and this was a career um, that came into my life in my early 60s. I had no predilection towards it. I've always loved music. I'm not a musician myself, um, but I've always loved music. I, I see the stages of my life with the music that was happening in, in my life, how I, when my eyes first opened, hearing the Beatles when I was 12 years old. and you know, So music's always been very important. The, the, and I've used music in my teaching of, of acupuncture and body, Asian body work. I'm a specialist in shiatsu and traditional Thai medical massage. And I've used music in the classroom. I've used it in treatments. And you, I use it always to uh, both be conducive to the treatment, but also to uh, block out external sounds that might be uh, disruptive to the quiet of, quiet of a treatment. Yeah. Um, I think about 15 years ago, I was introduced to something called binaural beats. And binaural beats is, a, is, a, is it's embedded into music. Ideally, you don't hear it, but a lot of the binaural music you do, where, and it has to be done through headphones to have efficacy, where you're doing one, one frequency in one ear and a different frequency in the other ear, and the brain creates a third frequency. And this helps the, lo the right and left lobes of the brain Harmonize, and when we we see this kind of harmony happen in the brain, then other other brainwave patterns, and then it percolates through the body in in positive ways. And I was attracted to binaural beats because since the age of uh, 19, when I did a month-long meditation retreat, I recognized how important meditation was. I recognized how difficult it was, and I recognized that I had a brain that would not shut the f up. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. And uh, and we're you know it's it's very very common you know it's a lot of it's external stimuli it's a lot of internal stimuli but a lot of it is we were never taught. Yeah. And, and within my music production work now we actually just released a program for mindfulness for children. So when I learned about binaural sounds and that the fact that it could uh, literally uh, accelerate or enhance or deepen the meditation experience I start started to use the binaural sounds. Um, the binaural sounds that I was using were either with um, sort of canned new age music or synthesized new new age music, or was actually you could you could hear it in the soundtracks, and it's like a, a tapping sound. So you'd have one tapping in one ear and then a slightly different frequency in the other. And after a couple a couple five years, it became un unpleasant. Then a magical occurrence occurred, um, which I was um, teaching at a place called Esalen Institute in Big Sur. I taught there for 15 consecutive years. And one year I was teaching there, there was also a class in neuroscience and sound. And one of the teachers of that course was a man named uh, Yuval Ron, who um, his main career is as a Hollywood composer. He's worked in, he's done music for a movie that won Academy Award. He's done many movies and theater and whatnot. But he also has an interest in neuroscience and meditation. And we met. He was teaching a class, I was teaching a class. We met, and I casually asked him about the possibility of bringing this idea of music for meditative awareness and enhancing of meditative experience and consciousness, but to bring a level of musicality to it, so that uh, people who love mu people who love music cannot really tolerate the category of new age music a lot. Yeah. Especially if it's just through synthetic um, synthesizers, right. computer generated. Yeah. 
And what we see is that music from a computer has much less frequency and vi much less vibration. That's the right word than music from an acoustic musician. Okay. So he liked the idea. He said, well, you know, I never dreamed of being a music producer and um, just, it, it just this is something that's happened to me over the years. I just get ideas. Do you have groupies? Huh? Do you have groupies? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not on stage. So, uh, and so we wanted to, so we, we, we created a, a we came together, we created a company, an idea, but yeah. we thought it was just a one-off deal. But we wanted to use ancient wisdom traditions, and so we used Chinese medicine as a starting point for our first production. We wanted to use modern neuroscience of sound, and this is a huge field. The idea of sound in the brain and sound in health, it's, it's huge. It's way bigger than anything we're doing. We're, we're part of a, a, of a whole movement. We wanted to use uh, acoustic musicians so we had, and we wanted to use original, originally composed music, which is Yuval. Yuval composes, he plays on some of our stuff, and he records and mixes and engineers. So he's, we're a, a small company with you know, sort of an in-house. He has his own studio. We did this one project, and it's based on the six healing sounds of Qigong, which is part of Chinese medicine. The earliest references to healing sounds in Qigong come from about 400 A.D. This is a ancient tradition wow and um so this this music encapsulates you know we're all, all of these that. factors we're encapsulating and um in our first production we enjoyed working together so much and the acceptance of it was really positive we thought well let's let's keep this happening we both were we liked working together we yeah. liked the result and so then the next project we did we based on ayurvedic medicine now, Ayurvedic medicine is the ancient medicine of India. It goes back back centuries or really to millennium. And um, a lot of people have explored the chakras, the concept of chakras yeah. and sound, um, but hardly anybody had explored the doshas. And this is a whole other model that it's, a, it's, it's important for clinical practice of Ayurvedic medicine. And in the interim, uh, you've all led a trip to India that we joined, my wife and I, a tour of India. So we met musicians there and learned more more about it. So we did a project on doshas. And then um, we were approached by someone who wanted to do something on chakras. We did something based based on the chakras. And then uh, we call our company Metta Mindfulness Music. And Metta comes from the Buddhist tradition. It means uh, loving kindness. And I so, like that. And really from the start, I wanted to do something based on what's known as the Four Noble truths of or the four divine states of mind excuse mm -hmm. me four noble truths is something else four divine states of mind but i didn't think we were really we didn't know each other well enough we didn't hadn't explored the depth of, of these kinds of concepts so then then we did a project on four divine states of mind from the buddhist tradition and we incorporated mantra which is a chanting right in, in that that production and as i mentioned we just recently we've talked every week by skype and um and we realized uh, where's the greatest need. Now he also has a foundation to bring culture and music um, into schools. Um, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and so you can't we thought, forget about the arts or the look. They're trying to introduce yoga. I mean, yeah, why not? Absolutely. And so uh, we came up with, and we worked with a Montessori teacher, an experienced Montessori teacher, and we we come to, came up with a program called Kids Sanctuary which is actually three albums um, as a set. One is all music, and then one is music 
with guided meditations, um, with, where we bring in kinesthetic awareness, visual awareness, and auditory awareness. Right. And one is just sort of fun, which is a little a children's narrator, um, because we really, and this is something the Dalai Lama has said that if if all the children in the world learned to meditate, we'd have world peace, because you'd realize. Yes, we would. So much more. You wouldn't see adversaries in everybody. Just the reactions to things would be different. When you see people, Hollywood people, uh, famous athletes say, oh, I spend a million dollars on my body for personal care. Obviously, the average person cannot do that. That's absurd. What, What would you say would be a good balance for the average person to try to reach some of these things that we talked about today from a health aspect? Well, a lot of what we can do as individuals shouldn't cost anything, which is to exercise, spend time in nature. We have the option of here being by the beach, breathing, breathing good air. Um, the, you know, there's a hidden cost to junk food where you know everybody, health food's more expensive and stuff, but there's a hidden cost to junk food, I think, that has to be taken into account. Um, once you understand the basic principles of meditation, I believe, I mean, again, if you have a guru or a good meditation teacher, that's, I would highly recommend that, but you really don't, don't need that to learn to meditate. If, sometimes if you get into places that you need feedback, a teacher is certainly going to be very helpful. I would say if there's one thing where if you're going to pay uh, to maintain your health, I'd recommend massage. Okay. Because massage works um, on body, mind, and spirit. It moves the blood and lymph. And I think lymph stagnation is a critical part of staying healthy. (laughs) Lymph flow is critical to staying healthy. Lymph stagnation is an important part of not being well. And another thing that's so important for health is sleep. Hmm. You can't, you know, and and, and I'm going to mention something which I don't, not... Everybody or not that many people know about it. I didn't know about it that much. In fact, science didn't know about it that much. But when we sleep, our brain actually changes structure and size. And conduits open in our brain of lymphatic flow where the brain actually cleanses. And this was unknown. They used to talk about the blood-brain barrier. We didn't understand that when we sleep. That the, and you think about it, the brain uses 25% of our energy, this one little area. And every metabolic process in the body, there's going to be metabolic waste. It's just part of it. It's the exhaust from a car. Um, and so that's happening in the brain. It was unknown. How does the brain cleanse? So the and it's called system. It's called glymphatics. That's the glymphatics? Glymphatics for glial cells, which are the tissue, nerve cells in the yeah. brain, and lymphatics. And the lymph, and when we sleep, the brain changes shape, these these Microscopic. This wasn't. We we couldn't even see this without functional MRI. Wow. And dies, and the brain actually drains. So um, sleep is Paramount. so important. For, it's just so important for everything and sustained sleep. So, I recently heard somebody say they. I guess they had spoken to a doctor, but they said that you don't get an award for staying up all day. No, like, but bragging about four hours of sleep at night. Right. It's not a good thing. And you know, the the point you made about people spending a million dollars, like James Harrison, the great linebacker in football, he was famed. And he actually was in National Geographic with acupuncture 
they're putting their bodies through a level of abuse that most of us aren't. Right. right. And so, and they have the means, and you know, and LeBron spends a lot of money on his body, but they use their bodies at levels that are unknown. Of. But you know, I want to mention something too, and I think it sort of refers to this in a way, John, um, is about the acceptance of this work is when uh, the great swimmer, um, the Olympic swimmer, had the cup marks on oh, Michael right. Phelps. Yeah, 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 yeah. cupping. You know, I mean, yeah. a, a lot of football players get cupping. You can see it in the NBA now, mm-hmm. but when you had a swimmer with a Speedo who's six foot six, you know, and had arms like a stork, yeah. and he had cup marks all over him, everybody's going, what is that? Now, I, cupping is, is ancient. The archaeology has shown cupping tools uh, that go back since almost the early use of fire. But, I mean, my But it gosh, was kind of introduced. It was That's inter- right, because I remember he had bruises all over his back. Yeah. And I would technically say they're not technically bruises, okay. but they're marks. Discoloration. Discoloration. And that's, that is... Um, but the discoloration literally is the uh, toxins that are in the blood that get drawn to the surface out of the, out of the tissues. Have you ever had cupping? No, I've had it offered to me multiple times. Have you? Because so he was a basketball player and he, his, is it both of your wrists? One wrist. One wrist, my left hand. His left, his wrist, he had to have, he stopped because of the pain Mm -hmm. in his wrist. He just couldn't endure it anymore. I have nerve damage in my hand. Yeah. So here's my suggestion. Why don't we put, get him set up with some of your music stick it in his ear, and then give him his very first treatment in his wrist. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't bring acupuncture needles with me. And he, Thank God. <laughs> and, uh, no, but I mean... But, 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 you, but, but you, there's something acupressure or shiatsu, which is a Japanese style of acupressure, um, which have efficacy. They're, they could be beneficial. Um, what's interesting is a lot of times those kind of pressure point techniques hurt more than the use of these really thin needles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it, the, but it would be it would be recommended. Yeah, okay. it would be it would be cool. And if you go, I go because I want to watch. <laughs> I think you can go without me and jump halfway. <laughs> <laughs> I we've well, been... we could do psychic acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. Now, we've been we've known each other for several years, and I've put him through a couple of. You remember when you got that cryofacial? Yes, I do remember that. I have that on video. Please delete that. <laughs> no, it's so funny. It's fun to subject him to, to things to you know things that. Well, are... something that you might find of interest is, um, and one of the things that got acupuncture sort of on the map early on was uh, acupuncture analgesia for surgeries, for minor surgeries, and. Um, really. Yeah. And. Uh, Would it put you to sleep? No, it doesn't put you to sleep. Um, and I've, I've used acupuncture anesthesia, it's analgesia, it's not anesthesia because right. you're not asleep. Yeah. Um, I have used it uh, for my daughter to get a filling done. I've done it for some other people. You would be really handy to have in the family, <laughs> right? Maybe we don't need an apple guy anymore. Maybe it's an acupuncturist guy. <laughs> but don't, but if your computers or phones aren't working. <laughs> But, but I think there's going to be apps of these sorts. And, and you know, what, one of the big developments now are, are these biometric tools that people wear. You know, you, but a lot of them are just picking up information, you know, heart like rate. Like the aura or, ring. Yeah, yeah. But ideally, there's going to be things that are more uh, treatment-oriented. And we see that with TENS units. And, and sometimes um, 
little subcutaneous needles are left on people to help, help stimulate them. So if somebody wanted to get your music, how would they find it? Where would they get um, it? Everywhere now. Uh, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon. Um, if you, you search Yuval Ron, Y-U-V-A-L, R-O-N okay. on Spotify. Okay. Um, there's a wonderful uh, meditation app called Insight Timer that we have um, a few million listens to on there now. Um, or we have a website called Meta Mindfulness Music. M-E-T-T-A. Yeah, mindfulnessmusic.com. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, no, it's really, I was listening to it today while I was reading, and it was just so, it puts you in a different place. And I like that because it's not like any music that you're accustomed to at all. Yeah. It's and, a whole different yeah. beat. And so what we've done, and we, I wanna, we do some binaural because there's a, a demand for it, but we also use something called isochronic, which is what, what you're hearing and listening to on a conscious level is a beautiful theme of music played by a world-class musician. We've worked with the cellist who played on, on Schindler's List and uh, amazing musicians. Now, it, underneath it, and you can see it on the computer screen that it's there, but, but unless you're a wolf, you're not going to hear it. Yeah. It was we put beats, and the beats are at a certain hertz, number of beats per second. And this, is, this corresponds to brain waves of, that, that we know about now, only since the 70s, that if you're an alpha, you're approaching a meditative state, and you can go deeper and deeper. And what happens is the brain starts to cycle slower and slower. And this is what we call brain entrainment. So we add these beats in, in the music just, just, just below the hearing level that the brain is picking up. And so we're, we're basically entraining or drawing the brain to slow down. That's unbelievable. And those are the meditation. The meditation can be adorned with a huge amount of religiosity. It could be with spirituality. But at the bottom line of it, it's a mathematical thing. Slow the brain down because God knows during the day it's racing it's the racing. minute you get up. The and second you get up. Well, oftentimes it's racing and then that wake you. Wakes oh yeah, up that's you're, true. You're in that active. So my husband gets up at 3 a.m. worrying about things and then he can't get back to sleep. Yeah. No, it's not a good thing. Yep. But I have to say that you, your presence in my life, you literally have changed my health. No, so, I'm, I'm which is honored. just unbelievable for me because, you know, it's a journey years and years into this thing because when you get hit with this kind of stuff, you don't know where to go and you go to so many different places. But, um, no, it's been a gift, your knowledge and, and what you've done. And we'll get we'll get the big guy over there on the table at some point. He'll need it. I, I can kind of. I sense might pass that. out. You got to help me lay down. You'll but... already be laying down. You just stick needles in you while you're you standing. You know, it's funny, Johnny. You said because I told this story to my son last night at dinner that my first first acupuncture treatment with my teacher, who's an elderly Chinese man, and I, prior to starting acupuncture school, I had wrecked my body living out in the country doing physical labor, which I wasn't prepared for. It was for five years. So I was a mess in my body. So I, I moved to Boston. I went for a treatment, and he, I was, he was treating me sitting up, which I would I never do. First patients, first treatment. And he put a needle between my thumb and oh, my God. first finger, and I fainted. Just <laughs> fell right out of the chair. And said, so, well, but you learn a lesson. Yeah. Don't treat people sitting <laughs> up for the first time. 
especially guys. Yeah. Guys well, are the worst with needles. And again, we, we have a luxury here in this country because we have private treatment. Now, when I was in China studying in 1980, uh, you know, you, were, you never had a private room. Yeah. Everybody, oftentimes, there's just chairs next to each other or, or tables pushed up against each other, or cl- you know, cluttered. The kind of private rooms we have with the, the music and the, the crystal lamps and the, you know, the negative ion generators, that's the luxury of our, yeah. of our life. Um, but you know, we would let no. you, we had promised you would let you. And, 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 and just as far as here in San Diego, but a lot of the cities around the major cities have acupuncture or Chinese medical colleges um, that have uh, community clinics. And we have that in San Diego here. That, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's amazing and awesome, but he, uh, that's not, I want him on your table. Okay. He's not going to the community. He's going to be. I, I listen. No. Yeah. What? What? You keep volunteering me. <laughs> but, the, but I would recommend getting some uh, body work, some massage. I don't like people touching me like that. <laughs> Why not? I'm weird about that. No, well. What if it's a girl? Same. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait, you don't like your feet touched? No. No. What about your ankles? No, I definitely don't want to be touched. <laughs> no, like I get like a hand massage. This is as far as I've been so far. Well, a you know what? And um, there is a whole, whole valid realm of this kind of healing that's uh, off body, where you just the practitioner. It's known as healing touch, or the Japanese call it Reiki. There's a form. It's a different than healing yeah, touch, yeah, yeah. where you're off the body, and the practitioner is really just an instrument of universal love, we could say, or energy, and they. Put that in, and healing touch is done in hospitals by nurses, and it's. I believe there's a code for it, meaning that it, it's insurance it's, picks yeah, it yeah. up. So you, there's you so much out me. there. There's so much out there that it's un, that it's so encouraging and hopeful. That's yeah. what I love. And about we're it. in a state. You know, when I first started, it was alternative medicine, and then it became complementary, and now we call it integrative. Integrative. And we, medicine. And we have we have yes. here at the UCSD Medical School. We have an integrative. Uh, medical program. Um, Which is good. I mean, you can do Eastern and Western. I think they can complement each other. I mean, I think it's important. Absolutely. Actually, uh, just last, a week ago today, I uh, listened in on a webinar um, that Pacific College of Health and Science, the Chinese Medical College here hosted, um, and it was researchers at UCSD Medical School and UCLA Medical School working with high-level Chinese herbalists and there's, it took a long time, like 18 months. There's an FDA-approved study now on the use of Chinese herbs with co- with mild mild COVID symptoms. Really? So it's it's people that are act, you know actively infected. Um, that it, so there, it, there's it a seems really to be it, there's, there's, and this is reacting. a really yeah really in, no we don't know result we we do know uh, anecdotally because we've seen this in practice here. Yeah. That people with with symptoms or, or long haul that they get acupuncture and herbs and they show improvement. Um, it's not everybody. I'm not going to state make a statement like that, but uh, it's certainly better than just waiting for time to, to make change. Yeah. And but this is a big step, and for the FDA to approve a study like this is a big deal. Is, is, is a very huge very deal. Big deal. And the next step is, and someone just told me the other day there's a, a study at UCSD on acupuncture and palliative care and also on emergency room. UCSD is doing some great things. Yes. No doubt. Rick Gold, thanks for being my integrative guy. My pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, honestly, learning from you and just the whole thing has just been eye-opening and very, I'm just glad you're part of my life. 
So thank you.